Uh, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible in a seat back near you if you don't have one there. If you have a Bible app, that's fine too, of course. Any way we can uh, be looking at the Word of God is great, and we welcome that. We are, uh, we're on the page turn today, folks. If you're looking at one of those black Bibles in the seat back in front of you, we are uh, starting in page one, and we're going to end up on page two today, early in your Bible. So my joke about page one of your Bible's about run its course, so I had to grab that while I still could, so... It was good. It was good. God looked at all that he had made on day one, and and it was good. God looked at all that he had made on the ensuing days, and it was good. Day two, day three, day four, day five. It was good. God looked at everything that he had made on day six, and it was very good. After God made mankind in his image, it was very good. That's the refrain we see all throughout the uh, beginning days, three quarters of those days of creation, maybe of a higher percentage than that. See the movement there from good to, to very good, and then today to holy, set apart, sanctified, designated for the Lord. Look with me in Genesis 1, 31 through 2, 3. Today we, we finish the opening It's called the prologue in Genesis, the beginning section of Genesis. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Those are six regular days as we know days now. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. All the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work, all his work that he had done. Verse three. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Friends, everything in creation is intended, is oriented to lead us to worship God. Just think about that for a minute. The Bible, the Bible, every page of this Bible and the Bibles that you hold or flip through on your phone is intended to orient our minds and our hearts and every aspect of our life toward God. We can't ever look at this Bible and think, oh, this is a textbook that I must learn to pass some sort of a test. It never works like that. If you ever treat the Bible as a textbook, you're just going to feel like, I just don't understand this. And that's can be largely true. Although I will say it's not impossible for an an unbeliever to intellectually or in a literary sense understand the Bible. I've heard many stories of those who were going after the Word of God to disprove the the Lord and to disprove His Word, and, uh, and many stories to match that say, in this book I found life. In this book, on these pages, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who always accompanies his word, I found life. God is omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. And he could have in one, I mean, I, w- I want to say in one day, but he, in, in one moment, that's not even long enough for us to consider it a moment. It would be shorter than a millisecond. God could have said, heavens and earth be, and it'd be done. So what God is doing as he creates in miraculous ways is he is drawing our attention. He's tutoring us on who he is. And so it's important that we lean in in this entire 
50 chapters of Genesis that we're going through. One of the things that I hope we've already seen, but that we'll see again and again and again, is that the Old Testament is not a part of the Bible that we need to chuck out. It's not a part of the Bible that doesn't apply to us anymore. There are aspects of it, as you'll hear some today, that have been uh, modified um, for New Testament, New Covenant believers. So there are changes, but we would be wrong to chuck out the Old Testament or any section of it as unprofitable for us. Every scripture is profitable for teaching us about who God is and how he interacts with his people. Now, to be sure, right, I've done the year Bible reading plans and there are parts where I just am like, okay, Lord, help me get through this section. Uh, But there's still good stuff for us to see in there, right? Um, Yeah, he could have just spoken into everything, everything into existence just like that. But he didn't create the heavens and earth like that. We have seen how he has laid it out and created everything in six days. Um, And God didn't need a day off, right? Some of you know where we're going on day seven here. God didn't need a day off. God wasn't tired. Remember, God is belaboring. Well, if God belabored. God is loving us by intentionally, distinctly teaching us through how he reveals himself to us. This is for us, for God. This is for us to begin to know God. Because you need to know that when you, when you, when you face a financial struggle, a relationship struggle, nothing is beyond God's power. Not one thing. God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day and he sanctified it. That, that word rest there really means to cease, right? We think of it as, man, I'm tired, I need rest. But he ceased from his work. And he sanctified the seventh day to instruct us, to help us get to know him, to learn about God, ultimately to know him personally, right? And so uh, by his action here at the beginning, he's telling us God rested and there's a pattern of work and rest for our existence on earth. God's teaching us about what our bodies and our souls need differently from what God needs, And so since we're created to reflect his image, which we looked at last week, we're to follow a pattern of priority. And that's an important phrase. We're to follow a pattern of priority as we see it now in Christ. And so this morning shows us that we are to experience the blessing of God's rest by or through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're to experience the blessing of God's rest through the finished work or by the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? So we see the Lord's blessing on the seventh day, how he ceased from his work or how he rested, and we begin to understand how the Bible gives us this pattern for our own rest. 
I was talking in our Sunday school class this morning, and sometimes we get to certain topics, and uh, we like rules. Just tell me what I need to do. Like, we can kind of be a little lazy in that. I don't want to search the scriptures and understand it for myself. I'd just rather have pastor tell me what to do, or one of the elders tell me what to do, or a Christian friend tell me what to do, right? I mean, that is until you don't like the opinion. Then all of a sudden, well, I don't care if you tell me what to do, because I'm just gonna, not going to do it. So let's, let's, let's try to really understand it here in the scriptures, which is today we're going to see priority, patterns of priority, principles that we need to understand to apply to our lives, not, not rules and regulations. But before we dive in, I want to I cue you to something that can happen, that does happen in the human heart. Oh, how do I know that? Do I know everybody? Do I know everybody's heart? No. I just need to know one heart to know how this works. As I begin to understand or hear truth from God, when I find myself saying something like, well, yeah, but, or, right? You start to explain it away. That's a cue to yourself. To recognize that you're self-justifying why you want to set aside this particular truth. And you will have no shortage. I'll have no shortage of reasons why it makes sense to us. Because our heart, well, our hearts are, are curious, curious, wicked things. And so we need the Holy Spirit to, uh, to help us understand. We need the Holy Spirit to, to bring loving conviction and understanding that our relationship as Christians with the Lord is not based on how well we put something into practice. It's based only on the work of Jesus. But as Paul and James would, would talk about, James with a different tone than Paul, show me your faith without works. Essentially, the proof's in the pudding with how we're living our life. And so that's our aim uh, this morning, to begin to understand that, um, understand that together. God rested on the seventh day, blessing it and making it a holy day. So I've already said it. I'm going to keep saying it. God did not need rest on the seventh day because he was tired. He, he rested to show that his creating work was done. He rested to, to give a pattern to mankind regarding the structure of time, right? And in seven day weeks to give an example of the blessing of rest some of you don't think the phrase I just said is an actual English phrase. The blessing of rest. We hear that or we, we walk around a church on Sunday mornings or in our community and we say, how you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm good. But man, whew, I am busy. It's like a badge. Busy. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not vying for laziness. Our seven-day work week is ingrained in who we are because of God's creating and determining this pattern in creation. Some in history have even tried to change the, the weekly pattern. It's never stood the test of time, uh, not just because they couldn't get a right vote, but but because God ingrained this in our, in our minds and in our hearts, right? We're on the seven-day cycle uh, because God has chosen to be, for our sake, to know him on a seven-day cycle, if he will. But God is above time, all right? He is not, he's not controlled by time or schedules. 
or energy. God rested from all his work to show us his rest for our sake. So all along in Genesis, we're saying this book, everything we read is about God. But there are times frequently, hence a really big book that God gave us to know him. There are times when God shows us things. All right, back up here, just lights. God shows us things in order, it's for us, but it's for us to know and understand the Lord. And that's an important principle, right? So God stamps this pattern uh, on, our, on his people in this, it's a, a re- repeating, ongoing design for our sanctification, right? Every other day ends with, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, and there was evening and there was morning the second day, and there was evening and there was morning the third day, right? Everybody, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Again, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. There you go. You guys are smart. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. You're like, why are you belaboring it? Because God belabored it. On the seventh day, it doesn't end that way. The pattern's already been established. He didn't institute the Sabbath or a day, one day a week of rest for his own sake. He, he doesn't take the Sabbath off. Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father has been working until now and I, ha- and I have been working, right? He doesn't need a day off, but man needs, you and I need to see all the rest of God. And we need to know that you and I can enter into it by the finished work of Jesus. Now, we're talking about two concepts that sort of run parallel. And so I want to I uh, invite you to the reality that uh, if you think about two train tracks, there are times when there's a truth here and a truth here, and they're going to run parallel. And there are aspects of it that we don't fully understand until we get to heaven. If you stand uh, on a train track, and so I'm going to stand with you here, right? You're looking at this train track, and... Um, And if you look at the tracks, whatever's running parallel into the distance, they look like from our perspective that these two tracks are going to meet in the distance, but they're parallel. So we know they don't ever meet, but there will be truths that we strive to understand. We will not fully understand while we're on this earth, but when we get to heaven, they will meet. When we get to heaven, we'll understand because the Lord will give us understanding. God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. If you think about the 10 commandments, the first uh, four commandments deal with our relation to God, rightly relating to him and not putting anyone or anything ever in front of him in our priorities. And this is a pivotal, literally pivotal commandment because then he moves to talking about children, about honoring their mothers and fathers. This is the first commandment with the promise God says there. But here on the fourth commandment, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, on this day of the week, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner, the the traveler, the passerby who's within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. And so the order of creation stands behind this Sabbath 
observation. Listen to uh, what James Boyce said. He said, God, having completed his work of creation, rests as if to say, this is the destiny of those who are my people, to rest as I rest, ultimately to rest in me. I'm giving you a picture. I'm foreshadowing to what the life is like for those who are mine, for those who, who trust me for salvation. It's a shadow of the rest available through the finished work of Jesus. So God sanctified the seventh day because it was a gift. Now, let me ask you this question. Let me just back up a second here. I, I kept, I, I, I was, you heard it in my opening prayer probably, and I just was, honestly, I was just struggling to sing that last song. Let me tell you, give me a good chain of change song, which is almost all of them, and like I can just put them on repeat all day, you know, and I could just sing them over and over again. And um, they're so committed to rich truth and rich doctrine in uh, what I think are, are wonderful musical ways. And I kept trying to sing this song and I was thinking, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. I will wait for you. I will wait for you till my soul is satisfied. And I was like, okay, it's true in a sense. And there's another part of me that's like, I don't think I can sing this right now. Because you know what? My soul doesn't rest easily enough in the goodness of God. Like when God gives us a promise and God gives us a command to follow, it's for our good. And yet I find myself over and over again, I find myself saying, well, this truth of God just doesn't make sense to me. It can't be right. I mean, I know God authored the Bible and he worked through human offers to, uh, authors to accomplish the Bible, but man, I'm really struggling with this truth. And so I'm just going to set it aside. And what comes from that is unrest. A stirring of the soul within that says, I I'm not trusting God. On your word, I will rely. I know areas in my life where I don't rely on God's word. In fact, there are several in you more qualified to come up here and preach God's word. But we don't, we don't land in, in despair on that. We don't land in, in, in the, at the end of a, a disciplining tool that's, that's hurtful and, and judgmental. Any, any kind of discipline, any kind of loving uh, motivation or consequence that the Lord brings is flowing out of God's indescribable love for us. And in fact, one of the challenges of getting to preach God's word is the change that needs to come has to come from the Holy Spirit. I can't bring change in your heart. God uses his word to work change in all of our lives. I can't do it. I can't change you. In fact, when, when there are times when I've taken a different tone in preaching, I've said something and I go home and I say, I'm trying to change their heart. I'm trying to make them do what I think they ought to do. And I'm telling you, sometimes right in the middle of the sermon, the Lord makes me aware of that. Or it's at home and I'm rethinking it.
We opened with it. How marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Do you believe that about God? How marvelous. How wonderful. And my song, or is my Savior's love for me. Just sing that. How marvelous, how wonderful, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be, shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And when you think about the commandments that God has given us in his word, I'm getting emotional with this because I struggle with this. So I'm just, do you believe that they're coming from a marvelously wonderful father? I would say who desperately wants the best for you, but God is never desperate. But who wants the very best for you? God sanctifies this seventh day because it was a gift. Do you believe it's a gift? Or do you believe it's a chain? To set aside one day of the week in particular to worship with God's people. That goes beyond that. We get to enjoy Sabbath rest every day. Colossians 2 and Galatians 4 tell us that, that we're not any longer under obligation to observe the Sabbath as a set apart, here it's day seven. Christians now observe the Lord's day on Sunday, the first day of the week, because it was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so the Christian church has observed the Lord's day on the first day of week, setting aside that priority of worship to begin our week with. We begin with this worship of the Lord. And so it's, it's not, I said at the beginning, sometimes we, we have a rule. We like rules or guidelines. Tell me what to do and I'll do it, or unless I don't like it and, and I won't do it. By the way, don't hear yet. We're not there yet, but I don't believe it means that Christian worship is optional with the body of Christ. We'll get to that in a few minutes here. But because Jesus fulfilled the purpose and the plan of Sabbath for us, which we'll see in, in Hebrews in a minute here. Listen to Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Galatians 4, 9 through 11. Uh, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to, uh, to weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Now, Paul's writing to Galatians, which is a church that, that Paul planted, and he planted this church, and these people, these, 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 these people quickly received the gospel. They received the gospel of salvation, that salvation is God's gift to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that when it's received by faith, meaning I understand that I am a sinner and I cannot work my way to heaven, the math doesn't ever work. My good never outweighs my my good never yeah outweighs my bad my sin. 
So I'm trusting in Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. He's the door. He's the gate. He's our shepherd. And we trust in him. And they received that message with joy and an eagerness. And then they started going back to the, the, the worldly rules of the road. And they began living in a way that demonstrated they were trusting their actions more than they were trusting in the Lord. And he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And he says, I, I am afraid I've labored over you in, in vain. And so while we're, we're free from a, a legal obligation of the Sabbath, we should not ignore the importance of a day of rest, a day of worship to the Lord. The Lord says, work six days and rest on the seventh day. Brothers and sisters, we may be beyond the Old Testament commandment of worshiping on that particular day. But the Lord's day is never to be equated with any other day. Listen, it's not a day that when you have a lot going on in your life and you're really busy, you tend to just say, you know what? I got a lot going on. I'm just going to work through church on Sunday. No. Our schedules, our sports, our hobbies, our, our friendships, our, our summer schedules ought to reflect the purposeful priority of gathering with God's people. That has never changed, brothers and sisters. We have a purposeful priority of gathering with God's people. So we don't, we don't lose the Sabbath every day, in fact. right? Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. You know what that means? Everything he talks about from then on goes straight to the heart. He doesn't say I'm sidestepping around this rule or I'm sidestepping around this commandment. No, he works to fulfill it, which always means he goes deeper, incising or cutting open our hearts to help us see where we really are failing to trust him. So does God call his people to worship together on the Lord's day? You better believe it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, don't, don't neglect to meet together, but work to consider how you might stir one another up in love and in good deeds, right? We, we come together to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to, to lift one another's faces, to say, look at Jesus, trust him, walk in him. I'm here to walk through you. I'm sorry, <laughs> that'd be awkward. I'm here to walk with you as we learn how to increasingly follow the Lord together. So let me ask you a question. How do we get from the Old Testament Sabbath to Jesus? And, and I'll be honest with you, this, this could easily be a month worth of sermons just right here. And so what I'm going to do today, I, I don't always um, do this, but today, in order to be succinct, succinct and help us understand it, I'm going to rely very heavily on theologian Jason Derushi's um, the way he describes it, because I think he packs in a whole lot right here uh, that would take me longer. And so you're welcome. 
You just went from, oh man, he's using somebody else's material. Oh, yes. Credit where credit is due right there, all right? I want you to see this diagram on the screen here. But when Jesus, uh, he, he views uh, as the lens for considering, uh, I'm sorry, when Jesus is viewed as the lens for thinking through the lasting importance and validity of the law of Moses, which typically refers to the laws established early in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch or the Torah. Uh, He views it through a lens where some laws come straight through him, right? You look there at the middle, right? There's a gender distinction that God creates us with. He creates us male and female. And our creation as male or female does not ever change or come to be discovered in the course of our life. We are created male and female. That moves straight through and is maintained in gender distinctions in the New Testament. Uh, when, uh, When Christ fulfills this Mosaic law, he, he maintains these gender distinctions, and we could say other things about it. We could, we could talk about uh, murder. He, he, he maintains that distinction, but he even goes further to say, if you hate someone with your heart, you've, you've murdered them. See how he takes it even deeper? It's not about, just about whether I stab you. It's about what I'm thinking, how I'm shooting daggers from my own mind and heart. If you look at the Sabbath, the Lord, the Lord transforms the Sabbath and gives us not a day of the week, but sustaining rest in Christ, which is a gift to us for every day. So he intensifies these things. When he talks about kinds of food that we're to eat, Jesus Jesus does away with Old Testament rules and regulations. So you see, we have to look at through this this prism or this lens of how Jesus' life and ministry fulfilled every aspect of the law in every way. And if you look long ways over this, you can see that center part of the lens as a bridge to Christ. Because it's in Christ that we're able to experience the blessing of eternal rest, uh, which is not something that begins after we die. It's something that, that begins when we're trusting Jesus. We get eternal rest in Christ. Other laws get bent and adjusted a little bit. How, how we build houses is, uh, has adjusted. Right? There was a way when, when God told his people, as you build this house, create, uh, long story short, create a barrier or a protection for you as you build your house this way. It was a way that God told them to build their houses. We don't build our houses like that anymore. That's not something that carries on in the new covenant. God has given us the Lord's day as a gift to help our hearts continually be uh, covenantly committed to one another to, to, to show our trust in him. I will wait for you. I will wait for you on your word. I will rely. 
Friends, when we begin to think that I need to keep working through the Lord's day in order to make ends meet, we are declaring in no uncertain terms that I'm not trusting God to provide for my needs. Therefore, I need to devise a path. And the Sabbath's not a law anyway. It's a gift. It's a gift for our bodies. It's a gift for our souls. Now, I want to just tell you, there, there are multiple perspectives on how one can approach this, but yeah, many, many, several perspectives. But as we think about the Lord's Day, this is kind of the, the Lord's Day perspective that I'm sharing with you now. Consider this, right? We get the extended enjoyment of God through spiritual discipline. The Lord's Day is a day of rest, but it's intended to be a, a day of rest given to the Lord. So what do we do? Well, we, we prioritize or we bump up our, our, our God-given responsibilities, right? Our responsibilities as Christians begin first with us. When you pray in the morning first, pray for your own soul, right? Learn this from another pastor, and he said, why? I'm not any good to anybody until I've met with the Lord, well, isn't that selfish to pray for yourself? No, it's actually very loving to anybody else who has to deal with me. <laughs> anybody else who has to put up with me wants me to get with Jesus first. But then the rest, so we deal with those immediate priorities, right? We worship with God's people. We spend time with our families or our, our friends. We, we enjoy activities that give us opportunity to build friendships and, 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 and uh, ministry opportunities with our neighbors, Right? We don't go the way of the first century Jews who would say, you can't do any work, you can't wear any sandals. Some may disagree with this perspective, but if you love working in the garden and it helps you in your time connecting with the Lord and seeing how God works in creation and how he grows seeds that are planted and, and that's restful for you, Work in the garden. I have some pretty good prayer time when I'm sitting on a rider mowing my lawn at times. We're not going to come up with a list of what you can do and what you can't do. Some of you work uh, maybe that kind of work throughout the week, and you probably should take a break from that for other kind of work or relationship or prayer, reading your Bible. Hospitality, invite people over, have lunch with people, reach out to your neighbors, set aside a, a task list and connect with neighbors and friends, build relationship. Or the simplicity of a simple meal at your house. We're going, 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 going six days of the week, one day a week, we can set it aside Come and worship with God's people and go home and just have a simple meal. Maybe you cook a lot throughout the week for your family. Or maybe you work at a restaurant and you cook a lot. Get that peanut butter and jelly out and rest. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Give yourself a break as you rest in the Lord. Take a break from things. I am not about to put up a slide on uh, the screen up here that says these are the things you need to rest from and these are the things that you need to do, save coming to worship with God's people because it is a gift 
from the Lord. So let me ask you this. As we think about God working for six days, not needing rest, but setting aside a day of rest out of love for his creation, how do you think about sports? How do you think about yard work? I'm not about to give you the answer you have to have. I'm asking you not to lazily think through the process or prioritize your own desires on the Lord's day. We talked about the purposeful priority in thinking through this. So how do you think about preparation for worship before you drive here? Because we all know that the car ride is tough. People who laugh the loudest are really affected by that. I'm just kidding. I'm just busting on my friend. <laughs> Can you have church meetings on Sundays? Well, you could. may not be the wisest thing. There may be a time for it. You use wisdom that God has given us to think through decisions. I wouldn't think of it as a priority for it because I want my priority to be home with my families or walking around the neighborhood as the work gets nicer. I had a professor said, uh, parents with kids, make Sunday the best day of the week, not only for being at cor corporate worship, but maybe there's other food that the kids don't normally get to have throughout the week. Let them have some great food. Let's make it a great day for the kids. Let's help them understand what it is to love looking forward to the Lord's day. But if we don't think about putting up healthy barriers in our life to prioritize the day of the Lord, mark it down. It'll get squished out every time. Well, I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and I'm busy, 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 busy. I am so important. I have so much to do. I can't afford to spend a day with the Lord. And brothers and sisters, I pray that we all come to the place where we say, I can't not afford to spend a committed day with my Savior who loves me. He patterned it for me. He redeemed it for us. Now it's just not one day that we get to spend resting in the Lord. It's every day. And having the opportunity to spend Every day with the Lord only happened because Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect law. He fulfilled every jot and tittle of every law perfectly. That means he did everything that he was supposed to do and he didn't do anything that he wasn't supposed to do. We call that sins of commission, things I commit that are wrong, and sins of omission, things that I, I know I need to be doing, but I'm choosing not to. We need to train our hearts to sing his praise, as the great hymn says. So does your typical Lord's Day rob you of the joy of growing in Christ? Not just intellectually, not just studying, but learning how to rest in the Lord. Or does it help propel you in that direction? I said Jesus came to live a perfect life. He also came to give his life on Calvary, to purchase us, to redeem us. 
And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together on the Lord's Day, we're reminded that Jesus did not do an end run around the law. He fulfilled the law. And he did it by giving his own life, or I should say after he fulfilled the law, he gave his own life as a sin sacrifice for you and I. If you have repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as your Savior, we want to invite you to come share the Lord's Supper with us on the Lord's day today. We have two stations in the front, we have two in the back, and we have gluten-free communion right over here on this little table. Uh, This is a good time to sit in your chairs if you want and just say, you just might say, you know, I don't want to just rush in and sing in our last song. I want to worship by taking a few moments just to pray and pause and consider how God's word would lead me to change today. You, you may say, I'm going to get up there quickly because I need this reminder of Jesus' sacrificial death for me. If you're not a believer or you're not sure that you're a Christian or sure that you're a believer, if for you it's, I want to go to church and do fill in the blank, or even if it's, I want to trust Jesus plus going to church, which adds to my opportunity for salvation. Brother and sister, it's Jesus plus nothing. And we would just invite you to remain in your seat or stand as we sing the last song and ask the Lord to help you see. Maybe you just don't know where you're at with the Lord. Do you know that's okay? That's not a shameful thing. And just use this time to pray and and, and talk to the Lord or talk to a a friend you know here or a pastor or an elder or deacon here. We'd love the opportunity just to be able to answer questions, to pray over you. Let's pray and we'll continue to worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, and I do pray that you have a wonderful Lord's Day. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I praise you for who you are. There is no, there is no one, there is no person, there is no spirit, there is no angel, there is no one who deserves all of our praise and thanks, all of our gratitude for who you are. It all belongs to you multiplied a million times over. Would would you work into our hearts how you're calling us to apply this in our lives, where we need to reprioritize? Not because we care about numbers here, but because we're missing out on the blessing of rest that you gave us as a gift. So while we rest on a day, it's because... We're resting in you every day. And I just thank you, Lord, for that reality. And I pray that you will move our hearts as we consider this and do the wonderful work that you want to be doing in each of us. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen.